Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. This is Josh. Hey, I am so excited that you've joined me on this episode of Journey Through the Bible. We are in the process of studying Ephesians. We introduced Ephesians last week, kind of talked about some of the major themes and lessons that we're going to see in Ephesians. And this episode, we're going to actually dive into the words of Ephesians itself, of what Paul is saying to us in chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. So I encourage you, listen to this with an open Bible if you're able. If you're in a location where you can pull out your Bible or just you know put it, pull it up on your phone, read this, listen to this with, with an open Bible in front of you. If this is something you enjoy, I encourage you to share this in your social platforms, share this with your friends, rate it, go to Apple Podcasts, particularly I think is the one where you can rate them, Uh, rate this, because we believe that as the word of God goes forth, he does fulfill his purpose because his word is living and breathing. So we believe that as God's word goes forth, it is powerful, it goes forth in the power of God and will accomplish his purpose for us in our lives as we listen and apply the Word of God to our lives. Now, let's dive in to Ephesians. We're going to start off by reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That was Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. And in this passage, we're really going to see a major theme of Ephesians and really a, a major theme of all of Scripture. And that is we are redeemed by Christ to the Father for his glory. We are redeemed by Christ to the Father for his glory. 
What we see here in the first 14 verses of Ephesians is this concept that we can't get away from that God has taken and it is taking the initiative in forming his church and lavishing blessings upon her. God has taken and is taking the initiative in forming his church and lavishing blessings upon her. We're going to see here and again throughout Ephesians, but we're going to see particularly in these first 14 verses what God and how much God is doing for us and for our salvation. And so Paul realizes this, and in the first 14 verses, he lavishes praise upon God for what he's doing. He starts out with this praise psalm that we just read, this ode, this praise to God, praising him for his great salvation, because he understands that the salvation that we all have the opportunity to participate in is not of our doing, but it is of his doing. It is something that is the result of the work of Christ in our lives. We can see the blessings that God gives us are, are, are part of what Paul is praising God for, right? We see so many here in these, these verses, right? God has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has predestined us according to his will. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. He lavished upon us blessings. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. He set forth in Christ the plan to unite all things in him, and he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. All of this, we, we, we don't see anything that we do here. This is all the work of Christ. This is all the work of God. And so Paul is lavishing praise to God because he understands what the work of Christ is in our lives, and he praises God for it. It's ultimately, it's a praise for his plan of salvation. It's a praise for the redemptive plan that God has set forth. And you see redemption, this idea of us being redeemed, of us being brought back to the Father, it's not just something that happened in the past. It's not just, well, I prayed a prayer and thus I was redeemed. But it is in the context of redemption that we currently, today, can relate to God. And it is also in the context of redemption that we have the future hope that one day we will spend eternity with God. It's this idea of I have been redeemed, I am redeemed, and I will be redeemed. There is a study on Right Now Media. There's a, a, a preacher by the name of Michael DeFazio. He, he says this about Ephesians. He says, Ephesians shows us that it is all of God working through all of history to save all of us. I love that. It is all of God working through all of history to save all of us. And that's what we see here in these few verses, that every thought in this poem or in this psalm that Paul brings forth is wrapped in a way where it points back to Christ. We see this phrase, to the praise of his glory or his glorious grace, three times just in these few verses. And so that's the first thing I want us to get from these verses is that God is working on our behalf for our salvation. It is his plan. It is his work. It is his doing that we have this hope of salvation and eternity with God. It is through Christ. Now we're just going to break this down kind of a thought by thought breakthrough through these passages. The first thing we see here, Paul starts off saying, blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about how he blessed us in Christ. Now these two words for blessed are two different words. And I think it's important for us to grasp these different words used for blessed here in this passage. The word used for God, blessed be the God and Father, is the word eulogetos. It's, it's a word that is only, in Scripture, used of God. It speaks of us giving praise and giving honor and giving everything that is due. It is us giving God this blessing, this praise, and this honor that we are blessing him with. So, so Paul is saying we are giving God praise and we are giving God honor because of his plan of salvation. And then we look at this word blessed for us, where it says blessed us in Christ. He blessed us in Christ. It's the word makarios. Now, if you if you've listened to my podcast from the beginning, you'll understand or you you might remember this word from the Beatitudes. It's the same word used in Matthew chapter 5, this makarios. It's, it's the word used of man, and it doesn't speak of us being given anything. It speaks to a state of being. It speaks of the state of being that we are now in as a result of Christ's work in our life. It's this place where we are standing in this place of flourishing because of what Christ has done for us. And so we are giving God glory. We are giving him honor because he has changed our standing where we are now in the state of flourishing, right? Blessed us in Christ. We are now in the state of flourishing in Christ because of his plan of salvation. This is paramount to everything we read in Ephesians. He's blessed us in Christ. The power of God is available and working within the context of in Christ. This in Christ is vital to our understanding of Ephesians. And for that matter, it's vital to our understanding of the whole New Testament and our lives in general. We are in Christ. The Father sees His Son and lavishes blessings upon Him, and thus through Christ upon us, because we are in Christ. Ten times in these first 14 verses, we see the phrase or some some form of phrase of in Christ. Joe Whitwer says this, When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. You see, in myself, I am lost without hope. But in Christ, I am found and have a living hope. So Christ changes me from without hope to a living hope. Right? In myself, I can do nothing, but in him, in Christ, all things are possible. In myself, I am destined for eternity in hell, but in Christ, I have the hope of glory awaiting me on the other side of eternity. In myself, I am a slave to the desires of the flesh, but in him, I have been made free and set apart for good works that glorify the Father. I was something else, but in Christ, I am now this. In Christ, you see, it indicates three. There's three things that this phrase in Christ indicates of us. In Christ indicates status. We see this this concept throughout the New Testament where we were, before Christ, we were in Adam. We were in Adam. We were in sin. We were in flesh. Whereas now we are in Christ. We we see this particularly strong in Romans chapter 5. 
If you look at Romans chapter 5, particularly verse 12 through 21, this whole passage talks about how we were born in Adam, and as a result of Adam's sin, we were all born into sin. But Christ came, and Christ became the new Adam, and so now we can be born again into Christ, and thus what is true of Christ, that we are redeemed, we are saved, we are pure and we are holy what is true in christ is now true of us so we were in adam but now we are in christ it indicates status and christ also indicates relationship we were an enemy but now we are a son or a daughter of god we were an enemy again this is so strongly pointed out in the first few chapters of romans particularly where we all were before christ we were an enemy of god We had set ourselves up in direct contradiction to everything that God is. But now in Christ, our relationship has changed. No longer are we an enemy. No longer are we standing in contradiction or in opposition to God. But now we are a son of God. And Christ also indicates location. We were far off, and we're going to talk about that later on in another episode in Ephesians, but we were once, before Christ, we were far off from the covenant. We were far off from the blessings of salvation. We were far off from God, but now in Christ, we have been brought near. Now in Christ, we are near to the Father, and we are able to access the blessings that God lavishes upon his children, because no longer am I far off, but now... I have been brought near. You see, this phrase, in Christ, oh, it's so important for us to grasp what in Christ is. I can do nothing of myself, but in Christ I have access to the Father. That's why the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Now we can access, we can boldly access the throne room of grace because we are accessing this through Christ. It's not in our own doing. It's not anything that we can do or we can conjure up, but it is all in Christ. And that's what Paul indicates so strongly here. It's what Paul brings forth so strongly in these first 14 verses and really throughout Ephesians that all of this, what he's talking about, this blessing, this salvation, this redemption, this new man, it's all only available in Christ. You see, Paul uses the phrase or some sort of phrase of in Christ over 100 times throughout his writings in the New Testament. We can see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the essence of what it means to be in Christ. I have crucified my desires. I have crucified my will, my plans, my ideas, and I've surrendered it all to him because my my life no longer is in me, but my life is only in Christ. John 15, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but If you look at John 15, there's this idea uh, that Jesus is bringing forth to us that he is the vine, we are the branches, and we can only find life when we are connected in him. That's why he says, abide in me and I in you. That's why he says, you can't bear fruit by yourself 
only in me. That's why he says, without me, you can do nothing. It's this whole idea of our life is only found, eternal life is only found, redemption, salvation, all of these blessings that Paul is praising God for here in the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, all of it is only found in Christ. Paul continues that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, the blessings that Paul is praising God for and the blessings that, that Paul is telling us that is available in Christ, they're not restricted by place or by time. Right? By blessing us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, Paul is saying that, that these blessings, they're not restricted by place or by time. They're not temporal blessings. They're, they're, they're not blessings that can, that can be taken away. They're not blessings that are temporal, but they are blessings that are eternal. They were not restricted by place or time. Neither are they restricted or dependent upon circumstances. Right? These spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are not restricted by place, time, nor are they restricted or dependent upon my circumstances. And that's why we can read things like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and we can read like, blessed are those who are persecuted, and blessed are you when you are reviled and hated, and blessed are you when people speak evil of you. That's why we can read stuff like that, and it still makes sense. Because my blessing is not dependent upon my circumstances, because guess what? This life is just a shadow compared to the reality of the spiritual realm. This life, this temporal existence that we find ourselves in on planet Earth where we're here for 70, 80, 90 years, th th this, this isn't the real thing. This is just the, the dress rehearsal. This is just practicing for the real thing. The real thing happens in the spiritual realm, and that's the realm that Paul says that's the realm that Christ blesses us in. And because we are blessed in that realm, it flows into our current reality, right? It flows into our physical reality because God does care about our existence here on this earth. God does care about our existence in this temporal realm, but we also have to understand that that's not, it's, that's not what it's all about. It's not just about our 80, 90 years here on this earth, but it is about what happens in eternity, and that's why Christ chooses us to bless us in the spiritual places. And then it can flow into our current reality. Paul continues, he says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined for us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, this passage is quite controversial. If you are familiar with this at all, there's, there's a couple camps here, and I, I don't want to get into that too strongly. Because I, I don't really want to get into, you know, is Paul here saying that God created a list before time of people he was going to save or people that he was going to condemn? I'm, I'm not going to get into that really, really strongly here. But what I do want us to see here is that God did create a plan where everyone in Christ comes into the possession of the blessings that he is describing. Everyone who is in Christ has been chosen to be holy and blameless. Everyone in Christ has, be, has been chosen to be adopted to sons. I had a, I had a college professor. He, he described it like this. 
he described it like a boat. And this boat has been predestined for salvation, right? That, that boat is in Christ. Now it's your choice. It's my choice. If we want to get on the boat, it's our choice. If we want to get on that boat, but everyone on that boat is headed for heaven because that's where the boat is, is headed. That's where the boat is predestined. And that that's, that's what I believe Paul is saying here, but we cannot get away from the idea that that is a work of Christ. He continues and he says in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Right, so we see here in this passage that, that Paul brings out, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of our trespasses. So these two words, redemption and forgiveness, it's important for us to understand these two words here in this passage. This, this idea of redemption or redeemed is the, the idea or the concept or the reality rather that, that Christ has paid the price for our souls, right? Our souls were destined for the wrath of God. He's not paying off someone. He didn't have to pay off Satan, right? That, that's, that's not what redemption is. Redemption is the fact that there was a price on our souls and that is, price was the wrath of God. Our souls, we were destined to have the wrath of God poured out on us because of our sin. That's where we were headed. But Christ came and he paid the price. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that we don't have to. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that we can experience the love of God for eternity. And so he redeemed us. He paid the price for our souls. He took the wrath of God upon himself. And he forgave us. Forgiveness. It's, there's, there's two words used in the New Testament in, regards, in regard to how God acts upon sin. That does not result in punishment. There's this Old Testament uh, exhibition of God's grace. It's the Passover example where God passed over the sins of people. We can see this only one time in the New Testament, that is Romans 3.25, it's this word paresis, and it's describing what God did in the Old Testament saints, is that he passed over the sins because of their faith already, he passed over their sins. But then there's the New Testament example, it's this word ephesus. It's used at least 17 times in the New Testament. This is how God shows us his grace under the New Covenant. This is more than just a passing over. This is more than what God did in the Old Testament, but this is a new covenant. This is a new way that God is exhibiting his grace to us. And that is a remission, a clean slate. He wipes the sin off, off our account. Not only does he pass over our sin because it's covered by blood, but because of the blood of Christ, he takes away our sin. So we are redeemed and we are forgiven. And Paul says, all of this, we are redeemed and we are forgiven according to what? Does he say according to anything that we provide, according to our works, or according to how hard we try, according to how much we get it right? No, he says we are redeemed and we are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. 
right? We are redeemed. We are forgiven, not according to anything that we bring to the table, but we are redeemed and forgiven according to the riches of the grace of God. This idea, this word, this phrase, according to, right? This is a phrase often used to show the limit or extent of what follows, right? I, I, I go to work, I earn money, and then I spend according to my earnings, right? I spend according to my earnings. I make X amount, and so I'm not going to spend more than X amount of money. That, that according to. Right, and so we see this phrase according to, and we understand this phrase often shows limits or extent, but then we see the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us and realize we realize that there is no limits because it's not according to us. It's according to his grace, which he lavished upon us. This, there's this idea, this word lavish, the lavish versus stingy. God is not stingy with his grace. God is not stingy with his love. God is not stingy in showing us the greatness of his grace. But no, he lavishes his grace upon us and he loves doing it. He loves, he enjoys, he looks forward to lavishing his grace upon our lives. And he does this all in wisdom and insight. What does 1 Corinthians 1.18 say? It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I think if, if you get the smartest people in all the world and God laid out his plan, hey, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to come down and I'm going to become man and then I'm going to allow you guys to kill me and that's how we're, you guys are going to be saved. Right? That does not make sense. That does not make sense in our heads, but that's what he did. And through his sacrifice, he has shown us his grace and he's shown us his love so that now we can experience this lavish outpouring of his grace to forgive us and to redeem us into eternity. He makes known to us the mystery of his will, Paul says according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You see, his redemptive purpose used to be a mystery. It used to be unknown. It was this uh, that which angels long to look into, is the way scripture put it. But that mystery is now, through Christ, made known to us. It's no longer a mystery of how God wants to save us. It is no longer a, a, a hidden what God's redemptive purpose throughout history is, but it is now full and shown to us in Christ. That's what we see here. The first couple verses of Hebrews chapter one says this long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that whereas before God spoke to us in part, right? This prophet had a little bit of the picture. Isaiah had a little bit of the picture. Jeremiah had a little bit of the 
picture. Malachi had a little bit of the picture. But now, in these last days, God has chosen to speak to us in full because he sent to us his son. And now he speaks to us through his son, who is the exact imprint of the nature of God. We understand that we now understand things that Abraham did not understand. We now understand things that David did not comprehend. We now understand things that Moses could only look forward to and and, and, and see from far off. We are able to experience the things that the Old Testament people could not because God has now revealed himself to us in Christ. Just as all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus, so too are all the purposes of God fulfilled in Christ. Paul continues here in Ephesians, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And once again, we see this message that it's all about Jesus. You see, our inheritance in Christ, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Our inheritance is found, fulfilled, and complete in Jesus. There's nothing else we need. There's nothing else we need. All we need is Jesus. And he, he rounds out this passage, this praise psalm, this ode of praise by saying this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that He gives us, is the assurance of the promise. It's the, the down payment of our final redemption. It, it is the Holy Spirit that is given to us that is like the, that earnest money, right? You have to give, in some transactions, you have to give this earnest payment that, hey, I'll give you a little bit now, but you'll receive the, the fullness of it later. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is to us. God gives us the Holy Spirit as an earnest payment. He says, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this part of myself so that you can have faith and that you can know and have assurance that in the future, there's more. In the future, there's more. It's this idea also of a seal on, you, you have this seal on documents that gives undoubted validity to, validity to its authenticity. Right? Who all has ever had to get anything notarized? You have to go to the notary and they have to put their signature and they have to put their seal and they have to put, you know, all this different stuff on there so that the person receiving the document can know for, without a doubt that this is valid. Well, that that's the Holy Spirit's role. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life is that he is given to us as this seal of authenticity, that this salvation that we have received from God is real. This hope that we have received from God is real. There is more to come. There is more to look forward to. The incredible ability and privilege it is to receive from God in this life. But there's more. In eternity, there's more. There's more of Him to be had and we're going to be experiencing Him for all of eternity. 
What an incredible praise psalm. What an incredible passage of scripture. Paul was praising God for his work of salvation. And this work of salvation, Paul wants us to understand that it is a work of Christ. It is, and we see the whole, we see the whole trinity. We see the whole Trinity at work in our salvation here in this passage. Paul, Paul is is bringing bringing the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead, into play so that we understand this salvation. Warren Wearsby, uh, he has an outline of of this passage that kind of outlines it like this. You see, in verse one through six, we're seeing blessings from the Father. He has chosen us, He has adopted us, and He has accepted us. Verse seven through twelve, we see blessings from the Son. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has revealed God's will to us. And He has made us an inheritance. And then we also see blessings from the Spirit. The last two verses, verse 13 and 14. That the Holy Spirit has sealed us and the Holy Spirit has given us an earnest. So this is kind of the entrance to Ephesians. What, what an entrance Paul makes to this book of Ephesians. What a what an introduction. This psalm of praise. You can sense Paul's excitement as you read it. You can just sense Paul is writing this and, and you can just feel his excitement as he's praising God for this salvation that he shows us. This redemption, this forgiveness, this plan that God put forth from the beginning of time. You can sense this excitement. And, and so I hope that we also feel the excitement and understand what Paul is wanting us to grasp here, that this work of Christ, it is praiseworthy and it is all because of him. So we are redeemed by Christ. We are redeemed to the father and it is all for his glory. There's nothing that we can do. All we can do is say yes. All we can do is accept it. All we can do is say, I, I, I read about this plan of salvation and I want to be a part of it. God, will you save me? If you never have, if you're listening to this and you've, you, you've never experienced that, you can make that decision today. You can make the decision to believe in, in Jesus Christ. That he came, he died, he rose again, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, working on our behalf, working on your behalf. And he will save your soul, and he will change you, and he will make you a new man. So if, if that's something you've never done, I encourage you. Understand that without Christ, I am an enemy of God, but in Christ, I am a son of God. I would like to end our time here in prayer that God would just give us this sense of excitement that Paul feels here as we read of the plan of his salvation and be grateful and give him the praise for it. So God, we praise you. Lord, we are so thankful for the plan of salvation that you work out in our lives, God. Lord, we are so undeserving of your grace and yet you give it to us we are so undeserving of any good thing and yet you choose to richly lavish us with your grace and with blessings with spiritual blessings or blessings that are not dependent upon time or, or place or circumstances but blessings that supersede all of that and that go down to our very being 
Lord, may we respond appropriately, just as Paul responded here. He just he, he lavishes praise and blessing upon you for your for your gift of salvation. Lord, may we do the same. May we give you the glory and honor that you deserve. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>